ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Thank you for your support. And as we spread the word about the importance of building relationships in business and life and showing people that we care, we bring great guests to the show. And I'm very thrilled today to have um, a very interesting guest whom I actually met over LinkedIn, believe it or not. And I love that because, of course, that's part of what I do. I teach people how to use LinkedIn. And so when it works, it's really exciting. Um, I would like to invite you to go and take a look at my website when we're done here uh, for a free gift that you can download my ebook called seven step formula to create business relationships that last and of course to listen to the podcast and leave a review and maybe even um, head over and send a message to my guest and find out more about him so today I'm going to be talking with Kirk Westwood and Kirk lives in the Washington DC area and owns a company called Glass River Media. I'm first of all going to say welcome, Kirk, to the show. Thank you so much That's, for having me. You're very welcome. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kirk and then let him fill in the rest. So I've seen a few videos that Kirk has done, and I would say for sure that he is a storyteller. That's what he says he is, and I believe him. He's the co-founder and CEO of Glass River Media, named a top 25 strategic communication agency by the Washington Business Journal. Kirk has contributed to Hollywood films, television programs, national commercials, and music videos. He has worked freelance as a photographer, blogger, web streamer, and consultant, and for the government as a communications specialist and public affairs specialist. No matter what his professional title has been, his job description has always been a variation of the same thing, to tell stories. So again, a formal welcome, Kirk. And tell me, let's start with um, basically, why do you say you're a storyteller? What does that mean? Like, do you see things always in a story format when someone starts uh, Or a talking? game. Or, or a game. And, and so a story or a game, it depends on the, the context of how I'm talking about it. But... Uh, some people get a little bothered by it. It was like, you know, life's a game. And they're like, well, no, that, that completely undercuts, you know, pain and suffering and misery. It's like, it doesn't. There are sad stories out there. And there, there are sad games. And there, there, it is not undercutting of pain, misery, mourning, loss, uh, death. It is not, in, in my definitions, uh, I'm, I'm a game player and I'm a storyteller. And, and that, is, that is the height of a compliment. That is the... Uh, they're infinite games. I, I'm not a I'm not a very competitive person. I don't believe in in the the backstabbery of it's not a game about winning. It's a game about keeping the game going. Um, so it's a, yeah, I have to interrupt you there because I am not. When I think of what you just said, I think of people who play video games, which is right. not my world at all. So is that what you're referring to? No, well, for the record, so I work a lot with gamers in both. Uh, several of my clients are gaming companies, okay. both video games and. But no, it's not. It's it's 
Um, so, I, and I don't want to totally go way off crazy, but um, yeah. one of my favorite people of all time, he actually just passed away a few years ago, is Tony Mendez. Uh, very few people know him by his name, but most people go, when I say he's the person Ben Affleck was playing in the movie Argo, they say, oh, right, him. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so Argo. I just did the same thing, right? Right, so Tony Mendez, his book, The Master of Disguise, is probably one of my absolute favorite books of all times. Tony Mendez is one of the very first and very few people to reach the two-star general level of the CIA. And what makes me so, and the CIA, heavily analytical organization, heavily emotionless organization, heavily um, uh, process organization. And you're like, well, you know, so what was he, an accountant? Was he a linguist? No, he was an artist. He was literally an artist from Nevada that, that got hired as a counterfeiter because his eyes were so good at small detail, he could counterfeit things. And he came in as someone who made travel documents and he worked his way up through the movie and story of Argo up to being a two-star general level. And one of my favorite things about his book, uh, The Master of Disguise, he talks about how the way he did it was working in the government is like playing pinball. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> huh? And he's like, I have a mission. It's this silver ball. My job, all I have influence of is to pull the back and launch it and paddles. That's all I, because in the government and in life, all you have is, this is the, the thing you want. But people always talk about, it. well, it's out of my hands. It's, the ball's off my desk. The, it's not in, it's, I don't have control of it right now. And so what Tony, and the way that I look at it, and I, I actually didn't get this from him, but when I read his book, it blew my mind because it's very similar to how I've always looked at it. He, I launched the ball out. I send that email out. I send out that memo. I, I send out that request. And then, I have the flippers. It's my job to keep the ball moving. So I send it out and five minutes later, or a day later, I call, hey, did you get my email? Great. And then you follow up and then you call and then you show up in their office and then you call. And then, and, and, and it's not about being the squeaky wheel, although that's another analogy right. that super works. It's about if all you, if the ball is what you need and you're playing pinball, so all you have control is the ability to launch and keep it moving. Right. That's, that's all you're allowed to do. And sometimes, like in pinball, it hits a diode and it sends it completely the wrong direction. It pings off things you don't want and it comes rocketing back at you. But your only options are to relaunch the ball and keep it in play. That is the only thing you have control of. And when you start thinking about business and relationships and entrepreneurialism or anything, really it's true. I have the ability to send it out into the world and then off, once it's off my desk, people are like, well, I didn't have any control of that. It's out of my hands. It's never out of your hands. You have the ability to relaunch it and keep it in play. And as long as you're doing those two things correctly, the ball, once you launch it, you don't have control. It's never going to do exactly what you want. But for those few minutes that it's on your desk, you can control which direction it launches and which... And, and you'll get better at launching it in the right direction. Sometimes you just have to hit the paddle as hard as you can. It goes flying and hope for it to come back to you productive. Um, That's a great analogy, actually, and, 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 and also shows your power as a storyteller because I'm right th I was right there with you. The visual was there for me. It was really, really good. Um, yeah. But just to take that now to the, sure. to the um, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, uh, and 
thinking sometimes you don't have control is interesting because um, one of the things that I teach when I'm talking about building relationship with people and, and new prospects, let's say online, on LinkedIn, or even, you know, over the phone and through email, um, you send something out there and you wait for a reply or whatever. And especially in the old fashioned way of being on the phone, you don't want to lose that control. So you say, you know, sorry, I missed you or, you know, hope all is well. If I don't hear back from you in a couple of days, I'll try you again so that you contain maintain that control and the ability right. to then go back at it if you choose to. Sure. One of the things that I find happens and just happened recently and I I still to this day do not understand when it happens. You set an appointment with somebody, you confirm the appointment and they don't show up. Sure. Whether it's a phone call online and use the old days in person. I mean people don't show up and they they disappear. Yeah. What do you say to that? So it's actually, for the record, let's, so yes, it's my biggest pet peeve. And I've actually done it to a few people recently where, where, you know, my, my, they sent the, the, the invite, I got the invite, I accepted the invite and then something happened on my calendar and it disappeared or I, and so I've actually been that guy a few times recently and nothing makes me feel like a bigger piece of garbage than, than doing that. I drives me crazy. Um, it's an interesting balance. It's to not to mix my metaphors because you know, that's bad storytelling, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of give and take. And it's a little bit of, um, there's another storyteller that I love whose name is Christopher Voss. Uh, he wrote a book called never split the difference. He was a hostage negotiator for the FBI. And then he started uh, after 20 some odd years of doing that, he left and became a, uh, just business negotiator and changed because negotiation is negotiation and the human brain is the human brain. And, and, and so his group is called the Black Swan Group. He lives in Los Angeles, but they're based here in the DC area. Um, and, and his organization does some really cool things. And he talks a lot about exactly that, not necessarily getting stood up per se, but about cutting through the things that are real and cutting through the things that aren't, like deadlines, for example. Now, I love deadlines. I base my life on deadlines, but he'll tell you that deadlines are, are, are almost always fictitious. Again, I don't know that I completely agree with him, mm -hmm. but, but one of the things is that who set the deadline and what did they set it? They're almost always arbitrary. They were set by someone. So the one thing, the deadline, literally the line that if you cross, you're dead. The first thing we need to do is realize that that, that imperative is imagined. And, and so that, hmm. and that, that takes the pressure off. It does. It's, it's. And that if they're willing to walk away because you missed that deadline, then, the, then there's a whole different thing going on here. But what I actually wanted to get to more specifically was, was um, to the pinball conversation, it's you are in control so very little. One of the biggest things that people react very negatively to is when you, uh, when you try to be in more control than you than other people feel you should be. So the biggest trick is to both make sure that you are in as much control as possible and make sure that the other person always feels that they are. Because when they're in control of the conversation or feel they are, you are. Like, all, <laughs> you just are. Um, and so it's, to, to fully answer your question of, you know, the person doesn't show up. 
okay, well, there's a couple things. One, you can take that as a massive affront and say, cool, they're not interested. Cut your loss and walk away. It's what I have done. When I realized I was the guy, I come back and had in hand and apologize because I don't want to damage relationships because right. those relationships are all business is. All those relations, you know, and right. whether or not this deal was going to go through, the information about you being a flake mm -hmm. is not an acceptable piece of information to be out there. Of course, uh, you know, I always give people the benefit of the doubt, give them one chance, you know, to say whatever. But when and this happened to me last week and it's a young guy and it's to do with my website and that he was in the middle of doing and you know like where is he he still hasn't called me back yeah so anyway I, and, I and, and at that point it's so it's it's about knowing what your your so what's your silver ball so like if we're talking pinball and talking storytelling your launch, so to, to use this example, let's assume it's obvious, so it's your website or it's your app or it's your project. You have launched it and it, it hit a diode, it's this guy, and it, it pinged off and you had confirmed it and you had set it and the ball shot. Now, sometimes when you're playing pinball, the ball disappears and you don't know where it is. Like <laughs> it, it, It's behind a thing or it falls into a hole under the, and you don't know, and that's terrifying because in pinball specifically, it almost always means that three balls are going to come flying at you or it's going to come rocketing back at you. Like, and you won't know when or from where it's going to just come flying at you. So it, this analogy, I love it so much because it, it works perfectly. Yeah. Okay. So it, it disappeared. You, you, you launched the ball out to this thing, this guy, you knew where it was, it pinged off him and it disappeared. So it's going to come back at you at an unknown time. You don't have the ability to, to do anything. He, he, it's dead in the water. So your options are you can wait for it to come launching back. You can keep hitting the paddle. You can shake the machine until it yells tilt. Or, you know, when it comes launching back at you urgently from him and you miss it because it comes back, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. You launch a different ball. You thank him for his time and you go a different direction. Yeah. And... There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you lost the life of the ball, but that's fine. That ball was unreliable. It disappeared. It came flying back at you when you weren't ready. Exactly. So, yeah. so you'll launch a different one. Yeah. And those are the choices you make. Those are the choices. Do you establish this relationship? Do you nurture this relationship? Or when, the, when you knock it into that area, um, when you knock it into that area, it disappears and it comes flying back at you. You're careful the next time to... You know, if you play the same machine enough, you know not to hit it over into that area because there's a, a, a blind spot or a dead spot. You, you make sure you don't do that. It's good. So, it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know that you do a lot in video. Is sure. that, that's a big part of your business, right? Yeah. It's, okay. it's so, 80%. Yeah. And with small companies as well as larger companies? So I like to say I work with empire builders. So mostly I work with... A smaller, well-funded, small through through aggressively medium. I don't work with many huge empires because that by that point they have their internal people. Sure. I I work with you know teams of five to fifty mm -hmm. that are that are trying to to get to that next plateau. And a word that I have seen around what you do and who you are is bold. Yeah. 
Okay. So yeah. you tell people to be bold yeah. and you are bold, I think. Be anything but boring. Yeah. Yeah. Be anything but boring. So the kind of people you attract then are. Yeah. I, I try bold. very hard to find people that are, that are. Off center. So are they a little off center? A little off center. What's funny <laughs> is my first production company when I was in high school was off center productions. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that word. Um, yeah. It's, it's very important. So um, I like to take the science approach to everything. I like to understand not just what will happen, but why it will happen. And people are actually remarkably predictable when you understand the full scope of it. And one of my favorite things that I learned, I don't know, many, many years ago was called pattern interrupt. How if you actually fit perfectly into a pattern, people will miss you. And there's, there's a lot of power in that. You can actually slip something in. If you can fit into a pattern, people, it will go completely unnoticed and that can be a powerful tool. But in marketing, in growing a business, in growing a message, you don't want that. It, it, you can't grow if you disappear into the pattern. So the only, so people come to me all the time. They're like, okay, I want to do an ad buy of this much. I want to do it this. I want to do it this. I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Why? And they're like, well, because that's how you grow. I'm like, no, that's how they grew. <laughs> and they have established a pattern. And now, you know, YouTube looks like YouTube and Facebook looks like Facebook and, and, and LinkedIn looks like LinkedIn. And it's this pattern. It's this very, very predictable wave. And the way that you break through of that is called pattern interrupt or prediction error. And so I tell people, don't come to me and ask me to do a conservative ad buy with, with you know, predictable steps. There are a thousand companies that will do you a conservative ad buy with predictable steps. That is not what you want me for. You want me for lighting your house on fire to take pictures of it. Like, and for the record, I did that two years ago. I built a house so that I could burn it down for a client. No. 100%. It's online. I, we, we, uh, we were doing a music video for a young guy that wanted to, to really make a splash and we pitched this whole video and he loved it. And it involved us renting a parking lot on the George Mason University campus. We spent six months building a house in my shop. We then dismantled it, went out, assembled it, burned it down, videotaped it, cleaned it up and got out. We were in the parking lot for 24 hours, but it took us six months of planning. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so it I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, and I know video, particularly even on LinkedIn, is um, very, getting bigger and, and so on. And I've seen you do some on there. I hate being seen on video. I'm not sure. really good at there it. There are solutions so, to that. Yeah, but, so yeah. What, what would be the top three things that you would say to me to help me over that? Like, what would you... Well, first off, so the thing that I see a lot of people doing that is super wrong and is and and I, and I don't want this is going to come off so much more negative than I mean it to be. There are people that really should not be the face or the voice of their company. Like they've got a face for radio, or yeah. they they like, and I, I mean that somewhat jokingly. They are really slow talk. I understand. I understand. Or, or they just aren't great. And the thing is, is that they have all these other people. The mm -hmm. the hardcore LinkedIn personalities that I adore some of. And, and they're out there saying, you know, get out there, be a, be a brand, be a brand. If you are one, like build a brand around you. If, if, if Makes you sense. can be, yeah. and it's, 
don't ever let someone else tell you you aren't the brand that you want to be or you know everyone has that set but if you aren't comfortable so there's two options you can do uh quentin allums just q talks about this from the urban misfits he says he did 500 videos he he shot a video of himself every day for two years until he was comfortable and now he's quentin allums and you're yeah, like he's good yeah i mean so that's one that's one way to go but I've always felt I love Q. I interviewed him for my book. It's great. Q is awesome. But at the same time, uh, that's him. There are people that I could shoot every single day. I used to be a theater teacher and I've worked with people that it's just, it's not going to happen for you. It's, that's not who you are. If that is, for the record, I think you could be just fine on video. I, I, I think that that's not what I'm saying about you, but if video isn't something you're comfortable with or that's not something you want to invest two years of a daily video in, there are other options. Right. There are, uh, there's animations. There are different animation uh, editors now that are remarkably inexpensive. There are organizations and, and places such as mine that will animate for you. Okay. There's, stock, there's stock art and other things. There are other options. But the true fact of the matter is that we are processing information at an increasingly, increasingly fast rate. I know. So it's gone, right? So you have to be, to be heard. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be, know what you're doing and you have to be able to do unbelievably huge amounts of information in, in just fractions of seconds. And, you know, it used to be, I remember when I was a kid and, and you know, I'm not crazy old, but when I was a kid, our computer didn't have a disk drive. And then when it did, it was this giant one. And then it got smaller and smaller. Now they're back to not having disk drives and everything's over the internet. And at, we have, and that is a perfect parallel for our brains. It used to be that going to a four-year university and reading books was how you learn. And then we got, you know, these films and documentaries and then television and then, and then computers. And, and it's gotten faster and faster where the human brain is still playing catch up, frankly but we have to be able to download mm -hmm. so much information so quickly. So if you're not getting into video and audio and memes and, and visual information, because visual information allows you to encode more data in less space. Okay. As so opposed that's, to the good. that's good. Yeah, it, yeah. I can say the dog crossed the road or I can show you a picture of a dog crossing a road and one, I gave you a better image because now I didn't say the dog crossed the road. I said the Doberman Pinscher that was a little overweight crossed the two-lane highway with a truck coming. Like it, and I said it all instantaneously. Yes. Visual information allows us to encode more data in more compressed space. So you said something to me um, before we went on air, which I actually identify with, I thought was interesting because, and, and that just came up now in, in what you were saying about the visual. You... But said that you externally process things and you need to talk it out with people and to have that um, conversation. And I, so um, I, I kind of identified with that because I'm an extrovert too and I love to have people around me, but I also need that. Is it because we need validation for our ideas or is it that it just, we need to be vocal about it? Like I need to hear myself talk about it sometimes. So, I mean, literally your brain. So what's funny about the, the brain, and I'm not a neuroscientist, sociologist, any, I'm not even all that, you know, smart. I don't have any <laughs> background in this stuff uh, other than just 
personal reading and lots of personal reading. But what's interesting is that your eyes and your ears um, and your hands are all connected to very different parts of your brain. So me thinking about something versus me saying it versus me reading it versus me hearing myself saying it are actually in a functional MRI, they've shown all resonate in different parts of your brain. And to make things even more interesting, your ears aren't, are, are hemispheral, which is to say, if, if you plug one ear, the information that goes in one ear never reaches the other side of the brain. You have a creative ear and an analytic ear. And I'm, what's really hysterical is to watch someone on the phone, if you know what the conversation is about, and watch them struggle. If they're not on speakerphone and someone is watching someone, if you know what the call is about, they'll be talking, 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 and then their arm will get tired and they'll switch ears. And then the conversation will go back and they'll switch back because their brain is like, I need, I, I'm missing it. I, you've got to get me over to the right side. And so then they'll either go to speaker or what's fun is this number where they're like holding the phone on the wrong <laughs> side because their arm is tired, but they need the information going in through the right ear. Yeah. And I, I say that because that is how I've always thought about it is that I need to hear it. And I also, the other thing that I do that it, I rehearse conversations with different people. Oh, so that's interesting. I do, I, I read people fairly well. I'm not like an expert at it, but I read people kind of okay. And so if I am preparing to talk to someone about it, I will, I will, in my head, this is all internal. This is before I get to the external stage. I will have the conversation with my father. And then I will have the conversation with my wife. And then I will have the conversation with my business partner. And then I will have the conversation with, you know, an old professor. Remembering how they, thinking through what they would have said, remembering what they, how they reacted to my ideas. And then after I've played it through those channels, I will play it through to a real person or two because it's not just about, it's, it's a little, it's, it's both that validation, which I think is a part of it. And it's a little bit about hearing it, but it's also about taking a ball and seeing how it bounces off of different services. It, okay. A, a ball bounces on grass very poorly. It bounces on cement very well. It, on gravel, it's not predictable. And you have to see it's testing the ball on different surfaces. You are so visual, though. I mean, you, you tell that story with, with everything you do. You tell it in a... I'm a storyteller. Yeah, exactly. And you so are. Um, let's shift for a second now because we don't have a lot of time left. But I want to talk for a minute about your book that's coming out. Look called The Very Best Bad Idea, which I love, but I have no idea what it's about. So tell me a little bit. And that title, for the record, it's its third title. And when I finally landed on that one, I love it because if you're about the 12th person to say that, like, I need to read it. I know nothing <laughs> about it. But like, the very everyone, you have been on both the giving and receiving of this. I have been on the giving and receiving of this. Every human being over the age of 12 has been on the giving and receiving of you come to someone super excited and you're like, oh my gosh, I have an idea. I'm going to make wings out of chicken feathers and, and wax and I'm going to jump off the roof. And our parents are like, whoa, that is a terrible idea. <laughs> like you're going to die. Like everyone from, from tiny, from our infancy, we come up with an idea and we run to someone we respect and we say, I have an idea and we, we blurt it out. And that person, that is terrible and they kill it. And they, it was a parent, it was a teacher, it was a loved one, it was someone that loved you. 
And they didn't mean to crush your dreams, but they did. Likewise, because that's how we were taught, we did the same thing. My daughters come up to me all the time, Dad, I've got this idea. I'm going to not go to school, and instead I'm going to be a, both a chemist, I'm going to be a PhD chemist and a rock star. I'm like, okay, there's so many problems. <laughs> not going to school, but getting a PhD to start. Right. That's, no. And, and I crush it. And, and I crush it instinctually. Like, the, the, it is dead on the ground before I even realized that I never helped them process through it. I never gave them the information. I just slapped their hands. And, and so I, I, I wrote this book called The Very Best Bad Idea. And it is, it is a, it's about thought leadership. And it's about how the only change there is in the world is changing your mind. And that everything you think has happened kind of didn't. Um, we think about like, you know, if I were to go on a, uh, if I were to go on a, a uh, Jeopardy-like show, who invented the light bulb? Thomas Edison. That is incorrect. Who invented the telephone? Uh, Alexander Graham Bell. Incorrect. Who invented the, the, uh, who invented the, 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 the airplane? Orville and Wilbur Wright, Kitty Hawk in North Carolina. That is greatly debatable. All of these things, and what's funny is when you go back, was Alexander Graham Bell a fraud? Absolutely not. He just didn't invent the phone. The phone already existed in several different uh, configurations. He, he filed his patent second. It's actually a really crazy story. Thomas Swan, not Thomas Edison, not Thomas, John Swan. Swan, Swan invented the, tel the, the light bulb, not Thomas Edison, but Edison and like Henry Ford gets a lot of credit for the, the car, but it was a hundred years old by the time Ford mortar cars. He gets credit for the production line, which was actually invented by Ransom Olds of Oldsmobile six years earlier. It's like who, who discovered America? Who, exactly. Christopher Columbus. Then why is it called America after yeah. Amerigo Vespucci, not Columbia? There's, what happens is we get so bound up in credit and giving credit, but credit is political. Credit isn't earned. Credit is claimed. Thomas Edison didn't earn the credit for the light bulb. He claimed credit for the but light bulb. But there's nothing wrong with claiming it if nobody else has. Sure. But there's something wrong with teaching it if it's not true. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so when you use the example even of, um, you know, your daughter coming to you sure. and saying this, I, I right away, I think as a teacher, because that was me in my first sure. life. And I would have done the same thing probably, but instead we should be throwing it back at them and let them think it through and let them. That, yes. So absolutely. The thing that, so the very best book, the very best bad idea has three parts in it. So I don't want people to be confused about like, so it's a book about like all sorts of stuff. There yeah, are three so just, sections. Okay. Three parts. The first part is called the history of thinking. Okay. And it literally breaks down over the course of about 150 pages. It breaks down the history of the philo philosophic trend, uh, uh, tradition and why we think the way we think, why the scientific method is the scientific method. It literally starts from the the great Greek philosophers and goes through uh, goes through uh, Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, all the way to the uh, all the way to the the examples I just gave of the history of invention, the history of thinking, and it stops along the way with a lot of really cool people, um, just kind of explaining how that process came through. The second part is called Make Friends with the Mouse, um, which is a joke, more or less, over building a better mousetrap. 
And it, it's what gets into the Henry Fords and the Thomas Edisons and the, because everyone is so focused on this, this butchered quote that was never said by Emerson about if you build a better mousetrap, the world will pound a path to your door. Emerson, who was given credit for that quote, never said it. He said something very, very different that is like 16 lines long that when boiled down roughly means the same thing. Okay. Um, I, I, think I, I, wanna play, I think I want to play Trivial Pursuit with you. Oh, no, I did. It's, it's death. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I literally used to read the cards for fun. <laughs> okay, but, the third part? Yeah. The third um, part of your book? The third part is called Release the Creative, and it's about getting out of your own way and, and being your own chapter in the history of thinking and not worrying about credit, not worrying about blame, not worrying about being the, you know, building the better mousetrap. Make friends with the mouse. Go out, release the creative, get out of your own way and, and conquer the world with it. And, and that, so those are the three parts. <laughs> And it, it kind of explains a little bit like what you were saying, that when my daughter comes to me and says, hey, dad, I want to use chicken, uh, chicken feathers and beeswax and, and jump off the roof, being weirdly supportive of that idea. Yeah. yeah. Up until the edge. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I do have to wrap up. We've, yeah. um, you fascinate me because you make stories out of everything, and I love that. I'm curious. I know you're a curious person. I can tell. Um, but I'm going to ask you one last thing. Um, well, actually, two. But you have to give me short answers. Number okay. one, um, what book are you reading now? Right now, the, the History of Video Games and 64 Objects. I'm reading five books right now, but that's my favorite at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, see, you're exhausting me already. Okay. The history of video games and 64 objects. It covers literally the history of video games iteratively, like from the pit, from the bowling alley to the pinball machine, all okay. the way through to the modern VR, 64 steps in the history of video games. Oh, interesting. Okay. And lastly, what would be the, the one thing, not the very best, bad, very best bad idea, but the one thing that you would uh, leave our audience with in regards to being bold and doing something to build their business that works for your business that how the, you know who's your client and and how can you help them money is a result it is never the goal and when i start talking to people and they say and i say okay so what is the goal of this campaign what is the goal of what this messaging what is it well, like well obviously it's to drive sales i'm like stop no it's not it's money revenue bottom line is a result. We have to have a far more direct interface with our mess with our audience. If it, is it to drive engagement? Okay. Is it to drive donations? Is it to drive awareness? Is it to drive convert? Like there's a hundred steps between hi, my name is Kirk, and will you sign this contract? If if the if the purpose of my introduction is to get them to sign the contract, I've missed a thousand steps. Stop being so revenue-oriented uh, revenue and start being relationship-oriented. Start being, um, how can we add value? And I don't mean this in this scummy marketing ploy, like, add value. Like, it's not a buzzword. It's a real thing. Right. What can you do to offer true value to the client, true value to someone else, without wondering what you get out of it? Stop being transactional and start being offering of yourself and, and, and everything else tends to work out. 
I love that because then you build trust. And when you build trust, you build relationship and you build referrals, you build your business better. It all works in my mind. And so I love that. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I would invite my audience to remember to subscribe to my podcast. Don't miss any episodes that way. And if you can leave a review, even better. And so thank you again. And I look forward to further conversations with you, Kurt, reading your new book, which I know is coming out very soon. And we shall see it on Amazon. Oh, one last thing. Where can people find you? And I will put it in the show notes. Absolutely. So I am, I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, Kirk Westwood. My company is Glass River Media, glassrivermedia.com. And, and like you said, I have a book coming out, uh, The Very Best Bad Idea, available on Amazon and, uh, and a bookstore near you. So Awesome. Thank you so much. And to my audience, remember, stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share out this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.